Getting a good night's sleep can be much easier said than done, but don't worry because our good friends over at CBDMD have exactly what you need to help you unwind and sleep harder than all-star voters slept on Christian wood. Sleep PM bath salts fuse superior CBD and melatonin with a mixture of Epsom, Dead Sea, and Himalayan salts to turn any bathtub into a luxury spa experience and give you the relaxation that you desperately deserve. And to make it even easier to relax, regroup, and recharge, they're offering all of our listeners 25% off your next order when you use promo code MBA at checkout. Once again, that's CBDMD.com, promo code MBA for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD products from CBDMD. This is Mission Control, Houston. Ignition sequence start. The reason I'm prepared for this position is because I've been preparing for this all my life. Our goal is to compete and, and really put a fun team on the court that really gets after it. T-minus 15 seconds, guidance is internal. We're very talented. I mean, we go out there and compete at a high level and give a lot of effort, we could be a good team. Six, five, four, three, two, one. What is up and welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and partner at Apollo Media, all Houston, all original. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin, the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, as well as at Apollo HOU. And joining us as we prepare for the second half of the Rocket season is none other than the Podfather himself, Rockets Wire editor Ben Dubose. How's it going, Ben? Pretty good, Jackson. How are you? I'm good. I'm 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 a little I'm excited. We've got Rockets basketball right around the corner, getting ready for this uh, set of back-to-back games: Kings, then Jazz. Um, I'm excited that we've had a little bit of a reprieve from the worst losing streak over the course yes. of the last 20 years of Rockets franchise. Um, so that's kind of nice to have had a a bit of a break from that. Uh, but we, we're, we're diving straight back in here. We've already got a ton of news uh, as we're sitting down to record this right after a media availability with Steven Silas. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and update us with what's going on with the team, who we can expect, not expect, all that stuff headed into uh, the first game out of the All-Star break. Yeah, so just got done with um, Wednesday night's practice in Sacramento, getting ready for the Thursday night game. As expected, Christian Wood is out, not a setback. It's just, as I talked about during the break, after the guy's missed more than a month with a bad ankle sprain, you're not going to throw him in immediately into a back-and-back, back-to-back not being conditioned for NBA games. That's just really, really hard to do. And it's just the schedule for the Rockets. We all know how difficult it is. What sucks about the losing streak for the Rockets, you know, they were 11-24, and and I think most of us agree that the record is not indicative of the true talent level of the team. Unfortunately, the injuries that they had came against the easier part of the schedule. It was when they were, what, I believe 28th overall, the schedule in the first half. Now the metrics I was looking at says they had the toughest in the second half. So with all these back-to-backs, you're not going to bring Christian Wood back in that type of setting. He said he hopes he'll be back after the back-to-back, which would seem to point to Uh, Sunday's home game versus Boston. Steven Silas was a little more cautious. He said maybe a week, maybe a little bit less, but those two could mesh. It sounds like, if not by Sunday, definitely by midweek. I think the Rockets have another back-to-back, actually. But it sounds like um, that Christian wants Sunday against the Celtics, which it's at home. It's a fairly marquee opponent. It's 
the actual debut of the earned edition jerseys. I know we'll talk about that later. And so I think that's what he's pushing for. Will the Rockets be on a 15-game losing streak at the time? I don't know. They better win on Thursday, though, because Friday is in Utah, and we know what they're doing to pretty much everybody. So uh, that's the downside, Jackson. He's not ready. But the good news, it's as good as you can hope for. He was a full practice participant. The ankle injuries behind him, it sounds like he was smart. There was still a little bit of swelling for the All-Star break. So he gave it the extra week to heal. And now he feels great. He said he just wants to get back uh, his conditioning. And so that's why they're not going to thrust him immediately into a back-to-back. So... It's bad if you wanted Christian Wood immediately, and you might need that to snap a 13-game skid. But realistically, I think most of us understood that it wasn't going to happen given the circumstances. Other than that, pretty good. Daniel House still out with the knee bruise. Eric Gordon questionable with knee soreness, so we'll see on those guys. But Kevin Porter Jr., K.J. Martin, Anthony Lamb, all the new guys, they were there. The Rockets are not the same eight-man squad that they were before the uh, All-Star break. They do have reinforcements, and... What I like about uh, Kevin Porter, of course, Stephen Silas, uh, Christian Wood, they were asked, John Wall as well, about how he practiced. And, of course, there's so much enthusiasm because there's a reason why he was a first-round draft pick. There's a reason why we've been hyping him up. ton of talent. We saw the production in the G League. And, of course, they said all the right things about how he looked good as a playmaker. They've been using him at point guard that he had good height for a guard so we could see over the defense. Lots of good things about Kevin Porter Jr., the basketball player, but what stood out to me the most, Jackson, Steven Silas says that he had a great attitude, is a really good kid to be around, and really brought a spark to the team. So in the short term, when you're on a 13-game skid, it's nice to have the spark. But in the long run, you know, one of the biggest questions about Kevin Porter Jr. is the circumstances that led to him getting essentially jettisoned from Cleveland, what is Kevin Porter Jr. the man like? Is there anything that's going to hold off the court his on-court talent back? And to this point, it sounds like not only is Kevin Porter Jr. playing well on the court, which everyone would expect, he's very talented, but for Steven Silas to praise what he's doing off the court and just his overall attitude and outlook, that really stood out. So it sounds like the, the sort of slow integration plan the Rockets have had since trading for him. I'm sure a lot of conversations with John Lucas, it sounds like it's working well because with Kevin Porter Jr., I think everybody knows he's a very talented player the biggest question is you know the off-court things what led to sort of his demise in Cleveland and so far so good it sounds like Kevin Porter Jr. is making a pretty positive impact on the uh, Rockets in practice and the Rockets seem pretty impressed by what they have there you know and that that kind of goes back to what Kaylee Griffin just you know, echoed on this very podcast uh, one episode ago talking about her experiences with Kevin Porter Jr. all the way back in Cleveland when he was first drafted, Mm -hmm. um, that he just, you know, he stands out as this, you know, really good kid that he just, you know, has a good, kind heart that he, you know, the fact that he remembered her all the way, you know, not quite a full year later, but, you know, when she revisited Cleveland uh, with the Rockets now, you know, with with that team and and whatnot. So the fact that he kind of tapped her on the shoulder, said, hey, you know, hey, how's it going? Touched base with her, all that stuff. You know, he's, he's he seems to be, you know, for multiple reports now, a good kid. And that's that's a, a welcome, you know, set of reporting, set of news, I guess, about Kevin Porter Jr., like you echoed, based off of um, some of the off-the-court, uh, you know, issues that have been, you know, reported that he's kind of struggled with. And a, a guy that you didn't actually bring up, Ben, is uh, David Nwaba, who, right, apparently hasn't had the wrist surgery yet, as originally thought oh, yeah. was going to be the plan. And so they're trying to see what else can be done yeah. to mitigate that without having to resort to surgery. Yeah. So my guess, I started thinking about that during the All-Star break. So the wrist surgery would be six weeks. Well, here's the thing. If we can see, and I think we all know it's likely, that the Rockets are not going to make the playoffs this year, or it's extraordinarily unlikely, 
then if you had the surgery around like March 5th, March 10th, somewhere in that range, then you're in late April just when you're cleared. And then there's going to be, you know, after not playing for almost two months, a ramp up like, like we're seeing with Christian Wood. All of a sudden, all that's left potentially because the regular season ends on May 16th is maybe a week's worth of games just playing out the string. And at that point, is it really worth it to bring him back? So in my opinion, they didn't say this, but what it sounds like is going on is that if Nwaba has the surgery, he's probably out for the year, given the fact that it's doubtful the Rockets trade him given the um, the injury. Also, the Rockets don't have to trade him. It's worth noting because they signed him a year ago, Jackson, Houston does have early bird rights. So it's not like Sterling Brown where you don't have any avenue to retain him well, any different than an outside free agent, you would have some rights to retain him long-term if you hope for. So for a lot of reasons, I don't think he's likely to be traded. And at this point, given the fact that the playoffs are becoming increasingly remote, there's just no reason to rush the surgery. If he can come back somehow, if he bucks the odds, great. If not, then, you know, let him have all the time he needs to get ready for next season and his next contract. So the downside is that Silas said today that there hasn't really been a lot of improvement. The wrist is still painful, but he said they're hopeful that perhaps he can avoid the surgery. And if that's the case, then maybe you can have him back in a few weeks. Coming up, I want to talk to Ben about uh, a few of the young guys on the Rockets roster. Uh, obviously, Kevin Porter Jr., K.J. Martin Jr., as well as a young guy who is no longer a part of the roster in Mason Jones. And we're going to get there in just a quick moment after a message from our friends over at Blue Chew. Blue Chew is making waves and bringing more confidence to the bedroom. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew's tablets combat all forms of ED and can help men gain extra confidence for when it's time to perform. Blue Chew is an online prescription service And so there's no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. It ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and if you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try BlueChew free when you use promo code LOCKEDON at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code LOCKEDON, to receive your first month free. And we thank BlueChew for sponsoring this podcast. And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Did you know that you can get more of the sports news that you need in less time with our brand new Locked on Today podcast? Peter Bukowski hosts Locked on Today, a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. Be sure to check it out wherever you listen to your podcast, wherever you listen to this podcast. But right now, chatting with Rockets Wire editor Ben DuBose, the podfather, of course. Now, Ben, I want to start with Mason Jones because... You know, I guess technically, mm-hmm. I guess he's old news now, unfortunately, but did this is kind of where I'm at is I'm I'm not actually super hurt by them letting go of Mason Jones. Honestly, I know that his stock was really high. A lot of Rockets fans were very high on him. He had, a you know, a series of really good showings, um, looked like there was a lot of potential there. And then 
seemingly I just I kind of lost my confidence in him because it just kind of never looked like he really got comfortable finding ways to create his own shots, kind of unsure yep. of himself at times. And maybe that's a dis, maybe that's unfair of me to judge him that way. If he had gotten, you know, a chance to maybe go down to the G league bubble, like Kevin Porter jr. He could have, you know, you know, had a better shot at getting up to the NBA speed, similarly to what they did with KPJ. But are, are you surprised by them moving on from him? How, where do you stand on the Mason Jones front? I'm not too shocked. He really struggled in February, shooting just like 25% from the field, below 20% on threes. A pretty abrupt turnaround because, you know, he started the year so hot from three-point range. Like the first month, I believe he was over 50%. That cooled off considerably. And yeah, what stood out to me is that he just wasn't very good. And as you said, it's not totally fair because of how young he is, but he didn't really have an ability it looked like to create his own offense off the dribble and the issue with mason jones the thing you worry about is because he was so advanced in college it's not like he's a young guy who with time should get better he's someone who not saying that what you see in year one is what you get but there's less long-term upside in terms of shoring up some of those deficiencies and i think the bottom line is it's just a a situation and a numbers game i think kevin porter jr coming up it's pretty clear they expect him to get minutes. Right now, the Rockets are loaded in the backcourt with John Wall, Victor Oladipo, Eric Gordon. We'll see what happens at the trade deadline. But right now, you've got all three of those guys. Then you have minutes for Kevin Porter Jr. It's tough to earn minutes in the backcourt right now for the Rockets, whereas there's a lot of unproven things other than Christian Wood, who isn't even back yet, in the front court. So it's just much easier for someone like Anthony Lamb or K.J. Martin, whoever it may be, if you're a front court piece, to potentially earn minutes and a look than it is for Mason Jones. The other thing is that, quite frankly, if shooting is your one attribute, which for right now it seems like that's the clear plus for Mason Jones at least the first month of the year, then... I don't know if this is necessarily the best fit for him because there's not many there's not that many guys to truly get you open looks. That's one of those situations in which if you can put him around a better team, especially early in his career, could he be some sort of sniper? Yes. Here in Houston, I know we joke about all the threes that the Rockets have missed, and that's true, but some of it, they just don't really have an ability to get a ton of open looks in rhythm because they just don't have a lot of true creators, especially with Christian Wood out. We'll have to see what happens when you finally get the wow factor, John Wall, Victor Oladipo, Christian Wood. To this point, they've only played a couple of games together, Christian pointed out, so maybe it improves. But right now, if you're sort of in a quasi-rebuilding situation, which the Rockets are, it's tougher for sort of a one-trick pony, which it's looked like, at least on offense, that Mason Jones is talking about his three-point shooting, to really get that much of a look. I think the big picture, number one, they want more guys in the front court because there's an easier path to minutes. And number two, they just want more what I would call jack-of-all-trades types. And Mason Jones, at least for what we've seen so far, is a little bit of a specialist. And for the Rockets, being in somewhat of a rebuilding state, I think they're looking for guys that are a little bit more diverse in their skill sets and can bring more to the table because – Again, it's just the value of a shooter to the Rockets is honestly a little bit limited when you don't have a consistent ability to create offense with the other guys that are on the floor with him. That that exact sentiment, Ben, is exactly why I've um, honestly gotten to a point where I'm a little bit fed up with P.J. Tucker and, and his role on the team. Right. Is You talk about one-trick ponies and... You know, it seemed it seemingly. I think uh, it I think was. I think it was David Weiner um, at Bema Thug on Twitter who joked the other day that um, PJ Tucker's 
offensive repertoire or already limited offensive rep- repertoire from corner threes and swing passes has exclusively just become swing passes. And, um, you know, that's a bit frustrating to see, you know, in an offense that's already sputtering in the absence of Christian Wood. And then you throw in another cog like PJ Tucker, who is, you know, at this stage and the way that he's played so far, just, you know, kind of a black hole offensively where you're not going to get anything out of him. Um, it's just frustrating to see the team out there struggling. They, they were the worst offense haven't pulled up the numbers uh, throughout the losing streak because I haven't ha- wanted to have to look at them. Mm-hmm. But the Rockets were the worst offense in the o- over the course of the 13-game losing streak in the league at just, uh, what was it? Oh, goodness. Hang on. I have it right here. A hundred and... 100.8 points per 100 possessions. That That's how bad their offense yeah. was. Worse than the league yeah. over the losing streak. And then they were a bottom three, bottom three, bottom bottom four defensive team during the losing streak, unfortunately. So um, hopefully we can see these, these things start to turn around as they get, you know, obviously their key pieces back, as they get some fresh faces back in the mix. Um, and fresh faces being Kevin Porter Jr. and KJ Martin. But Ben, I want to know, what are, you know, in in my mind, I'm kind of like, if I if I could have my way, right, if I could sit next to Steven mm-hmm. Silas and say, hey, I'd like to see Kevin Porter Jr. play, what, 20 minutes a night? Is that reasonable, given the fact that we're going to see so much, you know, the fact that we still don't know about Victor Oladipo's playing back-to-backs, Eric Gordon, you know, he remains questionable, you know, there, there's just so much, there's still some lineup inconsistency, so do we think that... 20 minutes a night is, you know, outrageous for Kevin Porter Jr. right out of the way? Do we think it's going to be somewhere more like 10 minutes a night? Do we think he's just going to see garbage time? Where, What do we think we're going to get out of Kevin Porter Jr. in this restart? And the oh, same for it, K.J. Martin Jr. Yeah, so I think it's pretty clear that they're going to play Kevin Porter Jr. I don't know how much minutes he'll get. I think 15 in games that everyone is healthy that might be a realistic number, but honestly, right now with Daniel House out, with Eric Gordon questionable, they will have John Wall and Victor Oladipo in Sacramento, but it sounds like the second end of the back-to-back, John Wall will play Oladipo. They'll see how he feels, so maybe not. You're going to have some opportunities with these injuries that are still ongoing. You can easily bump him to 20, 25 minutes if he's playing well. Again, I don't think they'll overextend him right out of the shoot, especially because the first game you will have both Wall and Oladipo, but they're excited about him. They talk about what he is providing in so many different ways as a playmaker with his height. I think both Silas and Wood talked about the spark that he provided. So this is not just, you know, your run-of-the-mill young guy that, well, he might get a look and then they'll take him out. No, they're bringing him up to play. They see him, a foundational piece is too strong, but they see him as someone that they absolutely do envision as a long-term rotation player. They believe in his talent. So they will give an opportunity to play. I think if everyone's healthy, 15 minutes is probably a fair timetable, but given the injuries, it would not surprise me at all if you see him playing 20-plus minutes a game fairly regularly, at least until some of these bodies get back. I think they're legitimately excited about him. KJ Martin, it's a little bit tougher because the front court because he can't shoot. I'm sorry, yeah, like that's well, a, that's that's part of the issue with KJ Martin. It, yes, yeah. and, and and the other issue too is that everything they do in the front court is so plug and play. It depends on the matchup. There's some where they want to go big. We've seen Justin Patton look very good in a few matchups. There's others where they want more shooting, and as you mentioned, he's not really a shooter there. So the front court is just sort of touch and go. I mean, we did see the game in San Antonio back in January that Martin played really well. So, again, I wouldn't rule it out. By the way, even though he sprained his ankle, he's not on in the injury report. Silas said he looked explosive at practice on Wednesday, so it doesn't seem like that's a limitation. I think Martin is the guy who 
you can point to and say maybe 10, 12 minutes here, maybe another game he just plays three, four minutes in the first half and not at all in the second. He's more the experimental type. Kevin Porter Jr., I think that he's playing no matter what. He's someone they truly want to evaluate even before the trade deadline. I know everybody's sort of waiting for the trades to happen, and then after that you plug in some more younger players. I think regardless of what happens with Wall, Oladipo, P.J. Tucker, they want to evaluate P.J. Tucker, and I think that starts Thursday in Sacramento, and that's something that, again, just his presence alone makes these games so much more fun because before the break it had gotten so monotonous, the reasons you had laid out. Kevin Porter Jr., even without Christian Wood, just K.P., gives something to the Rockets fan base that provides some juice. And I think that's something that we can all be thankful of. By the way, one other thing before we get sidetracked that I want to mention from the practice availability that really stood out to me, Jackson, Christian Wood was asked about the pain of missing not only 13 games, and it'll be 14, probably 15, it sounds like, but also watching the team go on the 13-game losing streak with him out, how much it hurt to watch all of that. And he talked about what he could do, wanting to see what could finally happen with John Wall, Victor Oladipo, Christian Wood, the wow factor, actually getting a run together, all the things you would expect. But then what he pointed out, and I thought this was really encouraging, Jackson, the maturity of Christian Wood. He talked about Wall being sort of the playmaker, Oladipo as the bucket getter, and then him being the switchable big, being able to defend on the perimeter on defense, roll to the bucket. One of the things on offense that is something that I had worried about with Christian, not because I had any reason to, but it's just something that with any young player you have to worry about. How do they handle failure? And in this case, one little thing that kind of gnawed at me, Christian Wood is obviously extremely important to the Rockets, but he's important within the right role. It's not like you just dump it down to him on the low block and he turns into Kevin Garnett, even though they do have a similar body type. His game is a little bit different. His game is more nuanced. You have to use him in the right way. And what was really impressive to me about the maturity of Christian Wood is that it doesn't seem like that even though the team has basically gone to hell in his absence, it's not as if Christian Wood wants to be Superman, come back, start shooting 25 shots a game and be something totally different than what he was before the injury. He wants to go in to be a piece of the team, a very good piece, but he's not going out there you know, with his head swelled up because of how big the team or how bad the team is without him, excuse me, and thinking that he all of a sudden, okay, I'm a superstar. I'm going to go out there and be LeBron or someone of a top five level. No, he knows what his game is. He's not someone that you just give the ball and everyone clears out and he's going to put you on his back just from isolation play. That's not Christian Wood. And so, again, there's no reason to really doubt him, but I just thought to hear those words out of his mouth was pretty encouraging that Christian Wood gets it as far as what makes him elite as an NBA player. And so when he does come back, I think you'll see him sort of fit back into the mold of what we saw before, and you won't see him try and do too much because of all the the losses and the losing streak. You know, it's it's great that you know, to hear that he has that level of kind of self-awareness or, or like mm-hmm. you pointed out, maturity. That's a good and, way to put it, self-awareness. And I think it's really important to note also that it's great that he does recognize this because we can highlight and look back at the stretch where John Wall missed, what was it, four or five games mm-hmm. um, during that stretch, and the Rockets looked like an entirely different team without John Wall out there, even though they did still have Christian Wood. And it's just... The way this Rockets team is presently constructed without a James Harden type player, without a top five, top 10 type player in the league, they need every piece to fulfill their role. And so we saw, we've seen obviously how bad the team has looked over this 13 game losing streak in the absence of Christian Wood. We also saw how shaky they looked without John Wall out there, without their primary facilitator. You and I had discussed how different the offense looked when they didn't have that kind of 
that safety net, that that calming presence that John Wall provides to the team when he's on the floor. And so when you get every single one of these guys in their you know, in their correct roles, when you've got the bucket getter in in Victor Oladipo, when you've got the playmaker facilitator in John Wall, when you've got the switchable big in Christian Wood, who can be the rim runner offensively, when everybody's plugged in in the right role, that's when we saw this team really take off and look like it could be something special. That's when we saw them be the number one rated defense in the league for a stretch. You know, and it wasn't just a one or two or three game fluke. It was a pretty decent mm-hmm. sample size to where we could conceivably look at the team and be like, yeah, this team could really be something and so seven and one over eight games yep seven and one over eight games indeed so I think that's as good a spot as any to kind of segue and say that you know coming up we're going to talk about kind of you know our second half expectations and maybe you know the outcome you know our our, you know the outcomes that we're predicting for this team maybe some goals we want to outline as well as going over uh, a couple maybe trade scenarios uh maybe a little thought experiment here and there that kind of stuff we'll get there in just a moment after a message from our friends over at Built Bar We've been telling you about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market for a while now. Built Bar is the amazing low cal, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, amazing tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate on all their bars. But now it is time to find out which Built Bar is the best Built Bar. It is Built Bar Madness. Today's matchups we've got caramel brownie and cherry barica, and then lemon almond cheesecake and carrot cake with walnuts. And I'm telling you, between those matchups, I'm going to go carrot cake with walnuts as well as caramel brownie. Those are going to be my two picks, but you need to go cast your vote. So go to builtbar.com or go to at built underscore bar on Twitter to cast your vote to see which bar is going to win. I'm telling you down the line, once we finally get to that matchup, the coconut brownie chunk is going to come away the 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 top dog winner of this entire bracket. That's all I'm saying. It's the best built bar out there, but we haven't even made it to that round yet. I'm looking forward to when we get there. But remember to use promo code LOCKEDON20 to get 20% off your next order. While you're there, while you're casting your vote at builtbar.com, re-up on a package of built bars check out the coconut brownie chunk it's my personal favorite it's amazing so again that's locked on 20 to get 20 percent off your next order at builtbar.com and check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best tasting protein bar Quick message from our friends over at betonline.ag. Look, BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and NHL are all in full swing. And look, we've got MLB right around the corner as well. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. You can get real-time updated odds and props on almost anything that you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's totally Totally free to sign up. Head over to the website and sign up today using promo code Locked On, and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Again, that's promo code Locked On L O C K E D O N for a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, chatting with Rockets Wire editor Ben DuBose. So Ben, as we were kind of, you know, alluding to at the end of that final segment, you know, there's a reason that, you know, there were people, myself included, you, you know, much more so than myself. I caved to the dark side a lot quicker than you did about, you know, yeah. wanting to tank, unfortunately. Um, maybe I just don't have the constitution. <laughs> but, but you know, again, because I saw... At the end of the day, I saw arguments on both sides, and you know, I, I think I'm still not quite 
firmly in the camp of well, like, let's tank it all away. But it's just, it, it seems like that's just kind of the direction that things are going to go more so organically. But yeah. there is there is a reason why this team looked good for a stretch. There is talent on the roster. And I guess this is just a good spot to kind of, you know, lay out what, what our respective expectations are for this team the rest yeah. of the way. Yeah. And by the way, I'm not anti-taking if it happens organically. That's what I happen to... Sh- have to stress over and over again and that's what's happened to this point they've lost organically they're not trying to lose the reason why i still would not say that i'm a tanker again i don't consider tanking trading veterans on expiring contracts like victor oladipo like pj tucker like hopefully sterling brown and ben mclemore that's just good sense when you don't have championship potential in a given year and there's a risk of losing these guys for nothing. Now, maybe with Oladipo, because he's only 28, you can see that having his bird rights, especially when he wants a lot of money, maybe there's some sign-and-trade possibilities in the offseason, so that could be a little bit dis- different, put an asterisk on that. But I don't consider that tanking. That's just common sense if you aren't a contender. You don't want to lose an asset for nothing. Tanking is making losing games your primary focus because your only goal is improving your lottery odds. The reason that I'm not going down that road, I've said it before, but it largely has to do with Christian Wood. It also has to do with the pick swap and the NBA's revised lottery weighting system. Because number one, you can't get above 52% to get a top four pick and thus keep your draft pick, not have it go to Oklahoma City no matter what. I know you wanted to talk about potentially satisfying OKC with an offer to take away the pick swap. I actually am intrigued about that. But based on what the landscape looks like right now, you can't get above 52%. Yet, unless the Rockets just go on like a historic run, like say a 13-game winning streak to get back to 500, that's what a lot of fans don't realize – Right now, to get in the top 9 or 10, you've got to be close to 500. The Rockets have already lost so much just based on the losing streak, and now they have the toughest schedule in the NBA, according to some metrics. They'd have to win 13 straight, which is crazy, just to get to 500. So, again, when we talk about them potentially winning some games, we're not talking about the 52% chance going down to zero. We're talking about maybe the 52% chance, if you win a few games, going, I don't know, 35%, 40 something like that. It's not like the old days where all of a sudden – you could have a late winning streak and it can just erode everything or so much of what you had built. The percentage we're talking about is relatively small. We're talking about 35 to 52, you know, at most in my opinion. So when you look at that, the reason I'm not willing to commit to that, there are other paths. Even if we don't think they're great paths in terms of percentage probability of success, they are there. What if the wow factor, while Oladipo and Christian Wood over the next couple of weeks starts playing really well? What if Kevin Porter Jr. is everything we wanted him to be and more? As Jonathan Fagan has pointed out, and this is true, let's say you trade Oladipo or you let him expire or whatever, and you have cap flexibility this summer, which is something that's becoming increasingly realistic. Someone even mentioned Miami as a potential suitor for John Wall, and they have all these expirings. Well, no one's going to want to sign with you if you're trying to lose one of the worst teams in the NBA. The reason you got a value in Christian Wood last offseason is because the Rockets were viewed as a good team, as a good franchise that's trying to win. It's tough to incentivize guys to come here if you're one of the worst teams in the league. That is not a fun environment. So there's that path. There's the path in which you know, somehow you do catch lightning in a bottle. I'm not saying that any of these possibilities by themselves are that great. 
it's just when all we're talking about is 35% versus 50%, to me, that's not so overwhelming that I look down and say, you know what, I've got to tank. The other part of this, Jackson, is that if you do tank, if you just commit all out, let's just try to lose games, that's the sole focus, then in my opinion, what my gut tells me is likely to happen. That 50-50 roll of the dice on whether you get a top four pick in this year's draft, that probably will tell the tale of whether Christian Wood stays with this franchise long term. Because if you go bust on that 50-50 sort of coin flip, that's what it is, even if you're the worst team in the NBA, then you know what's going to happen? You don't get a foundational piece this year. You're not really attractive either on the trade market or free agency to get a good player to join Christian Wood. And at that point, the only way you can bring top shelf talent into the franchise is probably to tank in 2022 and 2023, the two years that you do own full control of your first round draft picks and then christian wood on a three-year deal well number one he may not want to stick around he came here to win and secondly you may need to trade christian wood to help you tank those years because he's a really good player so i don't want to move on from christian wood that's why i want to explore these scenarios that you know maybe you can incentivize a big name disgruntled star somewhere else to want to be traded to Houston. Obviously, Rafael Stone has an enormous amount of future draft capital he can use. Maybe you can get some cap flexibility and sign someone in free agency. There's there's not one path that I can point to, Jackson, and say, this is what's going to work out for sure. But there are enough there that I just want to see this play out. And again, it may be an inconsequential debate anyway, because they're already losing a lot of games. And now you're going to add in the toughest schedule in the NBA, all these back-to-backs. And with John Wall and Victor Oladipo, these veteran guards and injury histories, that's not very good. So it, it may not be a debate anyway. But the reason I'm not willing to say, point blank, I am a tanker. Let's go out and do everything we can to lose these games. I want to explore these other scenarios because I just don't want to go down the road of basically 50-50, let's flip a coin, and if you get the pick, you get a foundational piece to add to Christian Wood, great, and if not, then boy, you're sort of a wasteland, and you're looking at 2022 and 2023 being some really, really lean years. I don't want to go there yet. It's possible that does happen, but there's some other paths. Let's focus on the friendlier ones, and then you know, I know you want to talk about the other part of this that's intriguing. You can change the math on that if there's some way to take back that pick swap or or just take the Miami first-round pick, which largely removes the extreme value of the pick swap out of – it takes it out of the equation. So I'm interested in potentially pursuing this with Sam Presti. What are your thoughts on that front, Jackson? I have – you know, ever since seeing that thought experiment pop up on Twitter, I have molded over in my head repeatedly because essentially you're weighing what is the, you know, the the known quantity of the pick swap now versus the unknown quantity of what those future picks are going to look mm-hmm. like. And I guess you wonder, you know, trying to put trying to put ourselves in Sam Presti's shoes, what would his mindset be towards that? Obviously, you know the the way the Rockets look this year, how how badly they've looked over this 13 game losing streak, and where their record is more than likely going to wind up. Uh, you know, I, if if we're being honest here, I would be surprised if they finish outside of the bottom 10 in the league, legitimately, unless they go on, like you said, some type of a historic run um, to to really make a push for the playoffs. So, I I don't know if there is a package that Sam Presti would be willing to 
accept that both the Rockets would be comfortable enough to give away and that Sam Presti would be willing to accept? Um, Like, are we like, I mean, two future firsts for the guarantee of this one? Like, and then you, but then if you're at that point and you're the Rockets, like, is that a worthwhile price to pay? Yeah. I guess that's just the big question. And some of it would tie into other moves. Like, I know you also want to talk about off air. We were discussing the Aaron Gordon rumor, Matt Moore, HP basketball saying with the Rockets, if he's available from Orlando would be extremely interested in him, perhaps out of your 13 first round picks that the Rockets have over the next seven years, just second most in the NBA, only two OKC, you know, you can make a couple of splash moves where you do a two for one in terms of two picks for one pick, or in this case, two picks for a young player, because you have all of that draft capital that you've gotten from the Harden, the Russ moves, the Robert Covington, the teardown in recent months. I just I, I hate can... that I hate that it has to be two picks to just have our own pick back. That's so well, painful. I know, like it's, it, I just yeah. I just you know especially I was... <laughs> because there's a 50-50 shot that you keep the pick anyway because of the swap. So yeah, it's frustrating. But the reason I would think about doing it in some scenarios, and I think Oklahoma City might too, the Rockets have been so bad. And right now, again, even if they do get healthier the second half of the year, they're one of the worst teams right now, and they have the toughest schedule coming up. That means there's a 52% shot right now, better than 50-50, that Oklahoma City goes bust, that they get nothing for that pick swap that yeah. Sam Presti negotiated into the rush trade and right now makes it look so bad. There's a 52% shot that it goes bust and they get nothing. So that's why they might consider it, especially if you include the 2022 pick, which is the double draft when the rules change as far as high schoolers. I could see Oklahoma City, even with the uncertainty of where that pick lands, saying, hey, we might take this rather than risk going complete bust this year, especially because the reason this is tough to explain on Twitter, a lot of people think that, oh, Oklahoma City might be giving up Cade Cunningham. No, they're not getting a top four pick no matter what because of the swap. At most, they'd be giving up the number five pick uh, overall, and it's a year where they already have their own pick, so they're already be going to be having at least one top shelf prospect just from their own. Maybe they don't want to have that many young players from one particular draft. Maybe they want to spread it out more because, of course, we've talked about this plenty of times, draft picks have more value when they're not used and after they are used. So if Sam Presti's not that bullish on this draft, maybe that's a reason he considers it. Again, you're going to have to give a lot. You probably have to give your 2022 pick, which is a loaded draft in a year that right now you have full control over sort of tankability, which they don't now. And so that's a hefty price to pay. I think that's what Sam Presti would demand the Rockets give up. Would Houston do it? I don't know. To me, the answer, it's integrated with what you see elsewhere. What I said earlier with Christian Wood, and one of the reasons why I'm not committed at this time to going down an all-out tank path is these other scenarios that make it work with Christian Wood. Because just for a lot of reasons, if you pursue an all-out tank that extends into multiple years, I don't really see that being compatible with now a 25, soon-to-be 26-year-old Christian Wood free agency in two years and the fact you may need to shed him to fully tank because it's not like there's really any true injury history there. So um, if you compare Christian Wood with another, not saying that Aaron Gordon's a superstar, but he's a very quality young player who signed for next year as well, just 25 years old. And by the way, that's perfect age alignment with Christian Wood. That's what's so important when you look at sort of a quasi-rebuild like the Rockets. A- age, age alignment is the big alignment. one, yeah. Yes. That, that's one I've seen you've been stressing on Twitter, yep. and that's if one that you, I have been pushing back yep. on a lot if here on this podcast. If you go to an all-out tank, and when I say all-out tank, I don't mean just this year, I mean future years. And the thing is, if you go all-out tank this year and it goes bust and you don't get the pick swap, or you lose the pick because of the pick swap, 
then you're almost certainly going to have to tank in 2022 and 2023. If you go down that path, it is very tough to to sort of get your head above water without eventually getting at least one top shelf draft pick and probably more than that. It's just a question of whether it happens uh, this year or not. So again, that's sort of how my outlook on what I do it. I can't just say in a vacuum because right now, I don't know the probability of success. It's close. You can sort of make an argument on both sides. I don't think it's a clear, you know, one side is the right way to do it. On the other hand, you know, if you can pair Christian Wood with another very good young player or two, like an Aaron Gordon, not saying he's the only one, but he's someone that came up this week. So let's talk about it. Someone that seems to fit well, a very uber athletic front court, a guy that has shown an increasing, increasingly reliable three point shot same age if you compare him with someone that could be sort of a nice building block for the future then that all of a sudden that might make it more worthwhile to say you know what we can give up that 2022 pick because we don't think we're going to have to go through a multi-year just true tank in which we tear it all down if you have aaron gordon and christian wood or someone else in christian wood that you feel pretty decent about the foundation even if it's not a superstar if you feel decent about the foundation i could see that incentivizing the rockets to say you know what Let's go ahead and we'll give up future assets to ensure that we'll have, at worst, a top six, top seven pick in the draft this year, which looks very strong, at least at the top. And we'll add that piece to the young core that's already in place. Hopefully Kevin Porter Jr. pans out. And then you feel pretty good that that can be your core moving forward. Is that enough to win a championship? I don't know, but it could at least be attractive enough to where other stars that hit the market would then want to eventually join you and join that core. So to me, that's sort of how, again, all of this is tied together. That's why I'm not willing to commit to an all-out tank. There are some scenarios where I do think you sort of just have to bite the bullet and do it. I do think there's a lot of Rockets Twitter that doesn't appreciate how going down such a dire path could cost you Christian Wood. Now, I'll be real. There's some scenarios where if it's that bad, you may have to move on from Christian Wood. Not going there yet, but we have to sort of be ready for any scenario. And it's possible that things are that bad. You do have to just bottom out and try and get as many top picks over the next three years that you can and just see what happens from there. But right now, it's sort of like I'm looking at it as a very complex equation. And if you can get an Aaron Gordon or someone else intriguing at the deadline to pair with uh, Christian, then maybe that makes it more likely that the Rockets say, hey, you know what, we'll give up a couple of these future year picks to secure ourselves with 2021 to make sure we're going to bring in some asset of significance this year. And then we'll roll with that as the core and see what happens as far as luring stars via trade, free agency, whatever it may be. So I guess my question, or not my question, my sort of summation of it, uh, of the question that we've sort of posed here. I don't know that Sam Presti would do it, but I could see a case that he would, given the increasing shot that they get nothing for the pick swap. And if the Rockets have a decent core around Christian Wood, then I might be tempted to consider the price. That's sort of how I'm looking at it. You know, and just on the Aaron Gordon front, because that's that's one that, look, I have been, you know, Aaron Gordon's not a guy, or he's a guy who Rockets fans have had their kind of eyes on, you know, in, in not just this season, but in prior seasons, kind of looking to him as, you know, a, a, an athletic, you know, four type who could play, you know, previously play alongside, you know, Clint Capella, who could space the floor a little bit, um, you know, shooting 36% from three this year, was having um, some decent shooting years in seasons prior, but not quite as good as this one. Um, 
but somebody who could, you know, reasonably give them, uh, you know, somebody who broke that mold as, as, you know, Rockets' wings had traditionally, you know, become just exclusively 3 and D guys, very one-dimensional, one-trick pony type players, and so somebody who could kind of break that mold a little bit. I don't necessarily like Aaron Gordon as essentially a foundational piece no, alongside... I don't like Christian Wood, I don't know if that necessarily moves the needle. And because he's only got the one year left on his deal next season, then you'd have to, at that point, like decide, okay, are we trying to flip him at the deadline? Do we see ourselves locking? Do we do we want to lock ourselves into a long-term deal with Aaron Gordon? And I think that's where I come back to the whole situation with the pick this year, where I'm, I'm not a very risk-averse person. Like, I'm constant. I'm like, screw it, let's roll these dice. Because... Okay. The NBA, so much of it is, yes, it's strategy and planning and trying to, you know, uh, plan out these moves for, you know, not just not just one or two seasons, but for five seasons down the line. You know, how does this impact your franchise 10 years from now? That kind of stuff. Trying to look at these big picture type scenarios. And I just I can't get away from the fact that this is a scenario where for the Rockets, I, I value the the upside benefit of lucking into that top four pick more than I do the downside of what would happen if they are bad and subsequently then lose out on the pick. Because I don't think, I want to push back a little bit, I don't think that losing out on this year's pick, even if they, now I'm not saying like tank out, right, you know, not intentionally losing games Mm -hmm. this year and, you know, potentially displeasing Christian Wood and all that, but if they organically just suck and, you know, get to the point where, yeah, they're you know maybe they'll keep their pick and then they suddenly miss out. It's, it falls five or six, whatever. It's gone. I don't think that that means that they have to tank in these next two years where they have control of their pick. Um, I think it definitely hurts some if they don't get some some type of value back. If they you know if they wind up kind of punting on the season or just not being very good and not walking away with that pick, it definitely hurts. But the idea of pairing any one of those top prospects with Christian Wood in an NBA where if you've got a rookie player who is obvi- who is you know easily outplaying his contract value, like you know we'll say currently like Luka Doncic, right? You know any number of the top prospects in the league, you know players like that who have that type of ceiling where they're immediately outplaying their rookie deals. That's how you can find yourself in a position where you know conceivably you're going to have if he if he wants to stay in Houston, you're going to have to pay Christian Wood down the line, and then you know reasonably if you want to also find that you know potentially that. Uh, that disgruntled star player make a big trade using some of the future draft capital, uh, you know, a Devin Booker type, a Bradley Beal type, somebody who might be unhappy in their current situation to really then, you know, jumpstart your rebuild and get back into a level of contention, then that person is going to be on a big contract. So you've got big contract from that star that you're trying to trade for. You've got big contract coming up for Christian Wood in a couple of years. So the the timeline of then having that rookie player who is an impact player like you know, a, you know, a Mobley or a Suggs or a Cade Cunningham, somebody like that, right? That, yeah. to me, the timing of how all that could potentially beautifully work out in the Rockets' favor to then be poised for, you know, serious contention, have their three core guys all locked down for the future, and then be able to put the right pieces around that trio, that is a really interesting pathway to me. Obviously, like you mentioned, there's so many other pathways as well. But that's where I understand and sympathize with the true blue tanksters who are like their eyes are dead set on that specific pathway. Maybe not all the way, you know, maybe they haven't, you know, looked years down the line like I am right now. But that's where my interest of that pathway comes from, because I think that, yes, there's opportunities to then make the trades or, you know, things like that remain competitive without truly bottoming out. And that's still a possibility. But the idea of being able to really, truly secure that next 
you know, franchise cornerstone type player, especially in a draft that's so top heavy like this year, I think I would be willing to give up two of those future firsts you know, not knowing what those are going to look like based on whatever happens in Brooklyn, that kind of situation. I think I'd be willing to give up two of those if it would kind of grease the wheels a little bit for Sam Presti to let go of the swap on this year's pick. Yeah, or just trade for the Miami pick, which makes the value of the swap a lot less. At that point, all Oklahoma City could do is maybe if they're at seven and Houston Houston is at five, something like that, dramatically reduces the value to to where you get into the top tier of the draft no matter what. I think we actually agree on that, but for a different reason. I think we're both intrigued by the concept of offering that to Sam Presti. I think about it more from the perspective of can you pair that with Christian Wood and Aaron Gordon? By the way, I'm not saying I view Aaron Gordon as a foundational piece at all. I don't. I'm just thinking, you know, some sort of long term piece, just a quality role player. You just like, I don't know, Kevin Porter Jr. is a star. I think that's probably a reach. I guess that's where the long term aspect of that comes in. And that's what that's the part where I push back or I'm bothered by is is only because, you know, I I look at Aaron Gordon. I think, well, what's going to happen after that contract's done? He's getting paid roughly 20 million a year right now. Some some level of discussion about, you know, making sure you're in some form of alignment. I think that would. Yeah. You know, it'd be irresponsible not to, although there's certainly no guarantees with that. I'm just looking at it from the standpoint of can you keep the talent base high enough to where you don't have to all out tank in 2022 and beyond? Because that's the bottom line is I think Sam Presti even consider it. You'd have to give up a pick in the double draft and probably without much protection, if any, to get him to let go of what could be the number five, or number six overall pick in a draft that, that has probably five or six really, really true top shelf players in it. So it would pay. I think we actually come at it from different perspectives, but I think both ways it makes sense, and it's just a matter of is Oklahoma City willing to do that because they may be looking at it and say, hey, the possibility is, is enough right now that basically if we have both Houston's pick and our own, we've got you know sort of double the shots of getting at least one pick in that five, six range. I mean, maybe their own pick gets even higher. But um, you know they may, may be looking at this and say, you know what, there's nothing that's worth giving up the potential foundation pieces that are in this draft. And if that's the case, Houston may be a- SOL. But I would just say that, in general, you just have to look at this as one piece of a of a bigger puzzle. And so I think that's one area that not everyone has thought sort of the ripple effects of how one move impacts another. I'd be open to the Gordon move. I wouldn't give up a ton for him. I would basically be interested in doing, if I did that, sort of a reverse Robert Covington deal and that you give up a couple of very heavily protected draft picks, nothing that's you know an extremely good asset at all, just because you think that can sort of keep you afloat, keep you viable, not just in, on the court, but well, on the court, but more so so that you're viable as a trade destination, a free agent destination to sort of pair around Christian Wood and without having to do an all out rebuild where you potentially lose Christian in the years ahead. But to me, that's what people need to consider the ripple effects. And I guess the way that I would sum up all of these paths, Jackson, is that I don't think there's any wrong or clearly right answer that's why i sort of push back if it's tanking it's not so much that i think the tankers are dead wrong it's more that you know what saying one path is clearly the way i just don't especially in the case of tanking where you may do it organically anyway i just you know we can go back and forth it's so complicated and there's so many ways that each of these scenarios can go right or they can go wrong we, we can and look re- at history and we can look at the james harden yeah. trade and say that there is evidence to show that you do not have to truly bottom out to then yeah. you know, make the right move like, and find the right piece to then jumpstart your franchise like, back into basically, contention basically when we talk about these scenarios tanking versus trades and how attractive you are potentially to free agents 
all these things. We're talking about maybe one scenario. Okay, you've got you can quantify the draft lottery thing more, and that I think maybe you can boost your odds by ten to fifteen percent. Okay, but then there's these other scenarios where maybe you think that even if it's not likely, maybe there's a ten to fifteen percent better shot if you do move X. And so that's what makes it complicated, and that's what I think a lot of people need to consider more. I just don't think there's a clear right or wrong answer. It's a tough decision. I don't envy Raphael Stone because, again, it's not like there's a clear right way and a clear wrong way to do it. You can talk me into both of these, and that's all that I would urge in hindsight. Not saying that you can't make a case for tanking. You absolutely can. But there's value in other paths, too. So Speaking of hindsight, it's, it, it, I think it's hilarious because five years from now, Ben, we're going to be sitting down, you know, potentially doing a, you know, a podcast on this very, this very podcast and being like, man, how wrong we were five years ago, or man, how right we were <laughs> five years ago. Like, and that's, that's the butterfly yeah. effect of this all, right? Is we don't know what direction things are going to go. And, you know, it's very easy yep. to, to look back in hindsight and say, oh, well, this should have happened or they should have made this move or they, they shouldn't have been as risk averse and they should have just tried to tank it out and, and go for a top five pick because all th- four of these guys panned out into, you know, top tier players in the league, you know, comparable to, uh, you know, the 2003 NBA draft or something like that. Right. You know, situations mm-hmm. like that. So um, it'll be it'll be fun to see it all, you know, roll out over time. Um, but we've kind of hammered this from so many different angles. But I want to end with one more thing, Ben. What do you think about the new earned edition jerseys? I like, I like them. them. I like the red accenting. I like the red letters. I mean, I'm a little disappointed that they're only using them three times, but I guess I understand it because they are somewhat similar to the statement jerseys. Now, I know these say Rockets and you have the red accenting, so it's a little bit different. But again, I think they only want to use the black so many times. And I know a lot of people are saying, why are they using the city jerseys so often? Well, the thing is, they made a pretty big investment into that alternate court. You don't do that just on a whim for a few games. If you're going to do an alternate court, you want to make that thing sort of pop and use it as much as you can to sort of tie it in with your branding because not all the teams do that. For all the you know complaints that Tillman Fertitta gets, that's actually something that they were proactive. Unfortunately, it's happening in a year where, number one, there's not that many fans, and number two, the product on the floor, at least to this point, isn't very good. But I think I can understand where they're coming from on that. They want to emphasize the blue, especially because of the court. And the earned jerseys, I like them a lot. I think they're sharp. I hate that they're only being worn for three games, but I think it's just sort of an occupational thing with the fact that they're black, just like the statement. And I think it's pretty clear that they love those statement jerseys. That's one of their top sellers for years. So I think it's just one of those things where they look sharp, but unfortunately, there's only so many games that they can wear them. I like them too. I'm excited to see them uh, in in action. So you said Sunday, right? That's where they're wearing. First yes, Sunday is the debut. Yes. All right. So one of only three appearances from the earned jerseys. So be sure to catch Sunday's and hopefully game. And hopefully the return of Christian Wood too. That too. That that'll be that'll be the ultimate experience, right? Is we get Christian Wood back, we get some fresh new jerseys. Hopefully, there you uh, go. A win. It'll be a, it'll be a great great Sunday. We're gonna manifest a great Sunday. But uh, Ben, I appreciate you taking the time to be here for this uh, primer as we're getting ready for the second half of the Rocket season. You know the drill, man. Yep. Uh, you can follow me, Ben Dubose, on Twitter, the Rockets Wire on Twitter, and of course all the coverage day to day, RocketsWire.usaToday.com. Appreciate it, Ben. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. All right. That's going to do it for today's episode. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.